I hope, I hope this is as weird for you as it is for me, okay? This is so bizarre. About six years ago, I've been here, this is, I'm on my seventh year. Uh, about six years ago, Pastor Bill began asking me to teach who I refer to as the big people. No offense. And for four years, I considered it an option. I said, no thanks. I just pretended it was an option. And uh, for four years, and he was gracious. He actually grew to the point where he would use it as a threat. Matt, don't make me make you teach the big people, okay? After four years, actually, I began to grow convicted that it wasn't my place to say no and uh, that I should do what my employer asks of me, especially when he's a pastor. It's like a double whammy, right? <laughs> Get in some trouble there. So uh, so I, I walked down his office, and I apologized, and I said, all right, fine. Whenever you want, okay, but be gentle. So, and I tell you, he didn't, he hasn't asked me since. Two and a half years, he hasn't asked me since. So teenagers, okay, when your parents ask you for four years to clean your room, just assure them of your newfound willingness and they should never ask you again. If it, if it works out that way. So seven years ago, I was what Pastor Bill referred to as wet behind the ears which I had to Google, because I don't know what that meant. It means you're young, for all you young people. All right, and today I think I'm only slightly less wet behind the ears, uh, and I'm in front of the big people. But, Faith, I have grown to love you. I've grown to care for you. I've grown to miss you when I can't be with you. And so it is with this heart I humbly offer to teach you this morning. Uh... And it's weird when, when, when you get to the point where you have the opportunity, you begin to take inventory of everything inside, like, what could I offer? I came up with nothing. <laughs> I, I, got, I got nothing for them at all. Uh, but, then, but then there's the Word of God. Amen? Then there's the Scriptures. I mean, the Word of God it speaks galaxies into existence, and it forms shepherds into kings makes the broken into something useful. Amen. It's awesome. So I take solace in knowing that I have nothing for you beyond the word of God. So please turn in your phones to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We'll start in verse 3. Talking about Jesus, it said, So he left Judea and he returned to Galilee. Just geographically, and he had to go through Samaria on the way. And eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. We want to set the stage here. We're going to dive into this whole chapter this morning. At this time, the Jews detested the Samaritans. It was a nation. The Sumerians were uh, a nation formed through intermarriage, and not just intermarriage of like Red Sox and Yankee fans. Okay, that's bad enough. These were intermarriage of Jews and Jewish enemies. They were marrying people who slaughtered their own people. And they settled in Samaria, and they began producing Samaritan babies. Jews detested Samaritans. So Jesus, the Jew, he walks into a Samaritan bar, Sorry, that was funnier in my head. <laughs> so Jesus the Jew, he waltzes into Samaritan territory, and it wasn't just a stumbling into. The text is clear. Verse 4, it says, Jesus had to go. 
He purposed to go into. Jews don't do that. And so now Jesus, he's exhausted from traveling and he's thirsty. The good news, Jesus is at a well. Bad news, Jesus doesn't have a rope and a bucket in his pocket. And there's no app for that. One more detail here. It was about noontime, and this makes the situation a bit more dire because nobody goes to the well to carry water at noontime in the Middle East. It's just too hot. It's way too hot. And so everyone who's anyone, they visit the well in the cool of the morning or in the cool in the evening, and then they carry that day's water back to their homes. But here Jesus is exhausted, thirsty, and now he's alone. Look at verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Big red flag right there. A Samaritan woman, a local, coming at noontime. Something's not normal. It's a little sketch. Okay? Perhaps maybe she slept through her alarm. Or maybe her sandal broke en route. Okay? Or could it be that this woman is coming at noontime because nobody else is supposed to be there? She didn't miss her alarm and there was no broken sandal fiasco. No, this was strategic. Nobody else is supposed to be there. This woman is an outcast. And we'll get to the point where this is confirmed in the text. It's not just conjecture. But we should take note, this woman is an outcast among outcasts. She is a Samaritan among Samaritans. How much lower could you go? This is a broken woman, a wounded woman, a thirsty woman. Look at verse 7. The Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus told her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, uh, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you're speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. If you only knew, if you only knew the gift God has for you, if you only knew who you're talking to. This past spring, we built, a, uh, we got like a giant jungle gym set from Sam's Club, or Mammoth. <laughs> and I built it in my backyard in an embarrassingly long amount of time. It took me forever. And I had many extra pieces left over. <laughs> so I upped our house insurance. We should be good. Uh but, it, it, you know, it's got the slide, it's got the monkey bars for them to break their arms on, it's got like a little counter and a bench and swings and a seesaw. Their favorite part, my daughters, two daughters, their favorite part is the swings. They would go all day long on them, all day long. Now imagine this, okay? Imagine if I go up to them while they're swinging and I say, girls, come with me now, hurry. Daddy, I, we got this opportunity right now. Mommy and Daddy, we're going to take you to Disneyland. But we gotta leave right now. We, we gotta go. Come on, come on, come on. And they say, Daddy, we just wanna swing. That's cute, okay? But you don't understand, alright? I wanna take you further than you've ever been. I wanna take you faster than you've ever been. Higher than you've ever been. 
I want to melt your face off, okay? It's going to be amazing. We have to go now. Daddy, we just want to swing. This is a hint of Jesus' passion behind his offer. If you only knew, man, if you only knew the gift God has for you, and if you only knew who you're talking to, well, then you would ask me, and I would give you living water. He's saying, you don't know what you're missing. You have no idea what's in store. Why are you content on the swings? Jesus wants to meet with us this morning. And much like the Samaritan woman at the well, you may ask Jesus, why are you talking with me? What would God want with me? If you only knew. This morning, God is calling you to let go of the swing set. In his love letter to us, he tells us his plans for our lives. They're greater than we can imagine. I don't know, Matt. i got a pretty good imagination. Good. He'll beat it. His plans will take us higher than we've ever been, further than we've ever been, faster than we've ever been. His plans will melt your face off. If you only knew. If you only knew the gift God has for you. And if you only knew who you're talking to. Jesus says, you would ask me and I would give you living water. See, the scriptures, they tell us we're all thirsty. We have this this emptiness built into us. And we try desperately to fill it with luxuries and annuities, vocations and vacations, relationships and refinements with approval of others. We're on this lifelong pursuit of performing well. So that we can be affirmed and valued. But if you only knew. Pick it back up in verse 10. Jesus said, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? I'm thirsty. It's kind of thematic. (laughs) Where would you get this living water? There's a disconnect here. Do you see it? These two in conversation, they're talking about two different things. By the way, this is extremely common between the male species and the female species. (laughs) Right? And she observes, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and this well is far too deep for you to reach down, sir. She's so sassy. Where would you get this living water? This disconnect isn't anything new and it's still happening in our hearts today. We focus on the physical. We're obsessed with it. The tangible, what we can see, taste, touch, smell and hear. But Jesus offers so much more. In 2006, uh, I was engaged to be married. Yes, to that wife. (laughs) Right? Uh, I was engaged, and I had a promising career uh, in Portland as a ice cream truck driver. (laughs) Sounds like I'm making it up, doesn't it? Her father said, yes, you can marry my daughter, sell enough snow cones. I mean, (laughs) would you let your daughter marry a snow cone, man? I wouldn't do it. So... He said yes, she said yes, and I'm selling snow cones. And so uh, that godforsaken music, right? 
the soundtrack to every nightmare I've ever had. Uh, I'm selling, I'm selling ice cream, and I remember distinctly I was in Gorham that day, Gorham, and there was this kid who came out, and, and he comes out, and he decides how much an obscene amount of ice cream he wants, and, and, uh, and then he, he like puts his coins up on my, tr- my counter thing, and, uh, those are some fancy coins. I was like, dude, this kid just raided his dad's coin collection for a snow cone. Right? So I said, hurry. hurry. No, I'm just kidding. I, I said, does your dad know you're spending these? And the kid, he, he points up to his front door and he goes, yeah, he's right there. And his dad's waving. <laughs> okay. Enjoy. Take it extra. You know, so one of the coins, I brought it with me and I almost couldn't find it last night. I've had this since 2006. It's older than my marriage, okay? Uh, it's a 1925 Stone Mountain half dollar. It's nothing like super fancy or anything. Uh, I've seen it sell on eBay for 40 bucks. I've seen it sell on eBay for $2,000. Yeah, I don't know if you're a numismatist. I don't, help, okay? I don't know what it's worth. I don't know why the huge uh, difference there, but. So it's, it's 1925, and on the back, see, it says half dollar. I. I don't keep it for its potential worth. I, I keep it for what it reminds me of. See, if, if I wanted to buy a snow cone, this would be sufficient. It says right there, half dollar. So if I'm focusing on the physical properties alone, it'll be sufficient. But it's worth so much more to those who are interested to those who will look past the, the physicality of it, to its uniqueness, to its worth, beyond the physical. The Samaritan woman, her focus, her concern is on the physical properties alone. Water, now. I'm thirsty. I'm physically in need. And Jesus' focus, his concern is on far more that emptiness inside us, that thirst we all share. If you only knew God's gift, if you only knew who I am, he said. If you understood the value, then you'd be asking me and I would give you living water. If Jesus were, were here, how tall is Jesus? Do we know? Yeah. We'll give it right there. Okay, so it's my height. Uh, so if Jesus were standing here, okay, and at the end of service, you got to come up and you got to ask him any, any question you wanted you would not ask him for a bottle of water. Because you recognize who he is. This woman doesn't yet recognize who he is. Jesus knows this outcast of outcasts is broken. He knows she's longing for internal satisfaction. He knows she's thirsty. And he knows that there's, he knows that there's more to talk about than just a water cooler conversation. I would give you living water if you only knew. It's, it's not a physical satisfaction he's offering, but a spiritual satisfaction. And the Samaritan woman, she begins to wrestle with this Jewish man's offer. Look at verse 12. It says, And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? This is an interesting insight for a Samaritan woman. See, the Jacob she's referring to is a Jewish patriarch 
of huge importance. He is Israel. And she asked Jesus, do you think you're greater than him? There's that sass again. It's oozing with Samaritan sarcasm. She takes a Jewish legend and she challenges this Jewish man, you Jews, you obviously think you're greater than everybody else. Do you think you're greater than him too? Can you offer better than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus, can you offer better? This is a question every one of us has to ask. Because nobody else can answer it for you. You have to ask, Jesus, can you offer better? What wells in your life are you going to for satisfaction? Because the scriptures tell us we're all thirsty. We have this emptiness, that thirst built into us. And like we said, we try desperately to fill it with luxuries and annuities, vocations and vacations, relationships and refinements, approval of others. We're on that lifelong pursuit of performing well so that we will be affirmed and valued. Or maybe it's shameful, this particular well. And so we go when nobody else is supposed to be there. Perhaps the well of pornography or drunkenness or inflicting harm. What wells are you going to for satisfaction? Because each day we pick up our rope in our bucket, don't we? Outside of Christ, we don't wake up satisfied. We, we search for it every day. Each day we use our willpower to get satisfaction. And we understand these wells won't satisfy us forever. But at least they help. Because we're thirsty. Day after day we run to these wells and we even defend ourselves like this woman. Look, Jesus, this is how we get satisfaction, okay? It's how our parents got satisfaction. It's how our ancestors got satisfaction. Can you offer better You have to look at your life and look at him in the eyes and say, can you offer better? Jesus is not threatened by this question. He relishes in it. It would be like me taking my daughter to a candy store and she hands me a granola bar and says, can you offer better? (laughs) Buckle up, baby, right? (laughs) Do we understand his grace? What he offers... This isn't simply a valuable question. It's a question of value. I have a penny. Can you give me a dime? I have a quarter. Can you give me a dollar? Can you offer better than what I have or am capable of getting? Let's read Jesus' response in verse 13. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. No one would argue with that. Verse 14, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. You would no longer need a rope and bucket. You would no longer need to seek satisfaction day in and day out. All of this is sounding a lot like freedom. Understand this, Jesus offers freedom. Freedom from popularity, 
Freedom from obsessions and addictions. Freedom in our relationships. Freedom from that approval of others. Freedom from that sin that so easily entangles us. He says, I can offer better. I can satisfy if you only knew. Verse 15, the Samaritan woman, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water that I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. She wants it, man. It's working. She sees she's eager to stop coming to the well. She wants freedom. She's beginning to recognize the value of this living water and recognize the value of this Jewish man. She said, please, sir, give me this water that I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Verse 16, Jesus said, go and get your husband. Okay, is that weird for anybody else? It's a bad sales pitch. Jesus is like, you want this living water? Yes, I want this living water. Go get your husband. It's so disjointed from the conversation up to this point. It's kind of out of left field. There are three of the many things I love about Jesus. Number one, he's never too concerned about what people think. I love it. Number two, he's crazy unpredictable. Like, everyone has that friend, you know. <laughs> they make you nervous. and like, what are they going to say? That's Jesus, okay? You never know what he's going to say. And number three, he loves deeply, and he never wastes a conversation. That was four things, sorry. Verse 16, go and get your husband. Verse 17, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Oh, snap. <laughs> I can't believe he said that to her. Go get your husband. Knowing her history. I wouldn't say that to someone like that. <laughs> a woman says, I don't have a husband. Yeah, you've had five. And you're shacking with someone else right now. Check this out. I love her response. She has great insight here. Verse 19. Sir, you must be a prophet. <laughs> With all of this talk about empty wells and shallow satisfaction, we're beginning to see why at the beginning of the story, Jesus the Jew had to go through Samaria. See, he knows this bro broken woman would be there at noontime. He knows her past. He knows her pain. He knows her hopelessness. And he pursued her. If that doesn't tear you up a little bit inside. In her helplessness, he pursued her. This is what Jesus does. See, we came here this morning, and he knows our past, he knows our pain, he knows our hopelessness, and he pursues us. So here he is with this broken woman at this well, a woman of five ex-husbands and a current live-in, an outcast in a city of outcasts, a woman who's warming up to the idea of living water but still a woman addicted to temporary satisfaction. Sir, you must be a prophet. 
And then there's something in her that gets defensive, and it's that same thing in her we find in us. Whenever we've been found out, whenever we've been exposed, she immediately changes the subject. We, we call this deflection, right? Verse 20, so tell me, she said, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Well, we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship. He's like, you got five husbands, you got a new boyfriend. She's like, yeah, hey, that's interesting. Can you tell me why Jews worship where they do? <laughs> Verse 21, Jesus replied patiently, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter. Whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem or in Waterville or Taco Bell. Amen. You Samaritans, he says, you know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father, he's, he's looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus is saying where we worship doesn't matter anymore. He said, I'm bringing something new. God is spirit, not confined to a geographical location. The important thing is not where, but how we worship. It's great that you guys came here this morning. But far more importantly is, is how you came here this morning. Is it in truth? Is it in sincerity of heart? God is not interested in your religious checklist. He's not keeping tabs on your moral victories. He wants your heart. He wants your sincerity. He wants nothing less than all of you. Everything you have. In Psalm 51, 17, the psalmist said, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. If you came broken this morning, perfect. The psalmist continued, you won't reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Do you understand how much he loves you? That he's wild about you. Because in our helplessness, he pursues us. This is what Jesus does. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain Everything to us. We can see she's getting a little confused here because she falls back on the Messiah, the Christ. She's confident that when, when he comes, he'll be able to clear a lot of this up. Verse 26, Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. If you're treating Jesus like a good man, you're missing it. He's either the Messiah, God incarnate, where he is insane. Because <laughs> he never stops saying, I'm it. I'm it. You can't patronize him by calling him a good man or a prophet. He said, I am the Christ. I am the promised deliverer. I am here to satisfy your thirst. I am here because you are helpless. I am here because I love you. Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They always have such great timing. And they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. 
But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? Verse 28, the woman left her, her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? This woman, this, this broken woman, this outcast, the ex-wife of five different men, she's been chasing satisfaction all her life. And then she meets Jesus. And in verse 28, we see her life turn around. Did you see it? She left her water jar beside the well. The very means of her former way of obtaining satisfaction. See, Jesus changes everything. This morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where God is, where it is God is meeting you. I don't know where you're getting your satisfaction. But I do know you're thirsty. And I know God is calling you to leave your rope and your bucket at the well. And this shouldn't be of compulsion. It shouldn't even be an emotional decision. It shouldn't even be out of self-interest. But only as a result of your encounter with Jesus. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Verse 30, and so the people came streaming from the village to see him. I love this part of the story because the very people who were aware of this woman's past, oh, it's that lady, they see a change. She's no longer recluse, avoiding the public. It's noontime, maybe 1230, I don't know. It's her time to be alone at the well. But here she is, changed. Woman, where's your bucket? Jesus changes everything. And the scriptures tell us the people came streaming from the village to see him. Why? Because they're thirsty. They're thirsty. There are a bunch more sermons to preach out of this text. But for the sake of time, jump over to verse 39. It says, many Samaritans from the village, they believed in Jesus because the woman had said. They believed in Jesus because the woman had said. He told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, in their Samaritan village. And so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then they said to the woman, who's still there, no longer alone, no longer an outcast, amid the crowd. They said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but we have heard him ourselves. And now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. It's like there should be a crescendo there. Now we know can God use you? Sounds like a silly question at this point, doesn't it? This woman, now my hero, encounters Jesus, completely changes, leaves her bucket, and begins making disciples. 
within an hour. Resulting in a village that declares, now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. This morning, may we evaluate. May we evaluate the wells we visit and draw from. May we evaluate who Jesus is and what he offers. Will you leave your water jar beside the well? Will you let go of the swings? To all who are thirsty, join me in prayer. Lord, we come as humbly as we know how. In the presence of your greatness. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for pursuing us while we were still cursing your name. Father, I pray that you would raise up this church, send them into the surrounding communities. God, may we declare, could this not be the Messiah? Could he not be all we hope for? Lord, lead us in deep discipleship as we seek to know you more. And in your name, amen.